right, now let me get a mic check. Check. Sounds stupendous. I think it's always funny when you say something stupendous, because it sounds like you're going to say stupid. Yes. It's always funny. We are back once again. This is the ATP Podcast. It's your boy Jay. Mark Figueroa is in the building. And if you couldn't tell, I am coming off of a little bit of a cold, so my voice is not gonna sound exactly like how it sounds every episode but i'm speaking fine we'll be okay uh this is episode 147 um i don't have a special ritual or statement for that number but but um we're here things are going well we're both feeling pretty good how are you doing good uh, a lot to report including the netflix uh a breakpoint so yeah we'll talk about that at the end plus there's a lot of uh news heading into wimbledon lovely where do we start Okay, first we're going to start with the champions, uh, Kvitova and Ostapenko. They won their grass tournaments. Oof. Ostapenko, believe it or not, is the has the most wins on grass on, on, the, on the WTA side. I actually am surprised by that. Yes, I am as well. But uh, she had um, uh, good victories against uh, Venus. Venus did take her to three. That makes me feel good about Venus, by yes. the way, that she lost to uh, the most dominant grass court player in three. Right, and then uh, she beat Krishkova uh, in the final. And if you remember, Krishkova was the one that uh, beat the one, two, and three seed in Doha. Mm. So those are that's, those are decent wins. Mm-hmm. And Kvitova also had a, a nice little run as well. So congrats to them. So um, since 2022, Ostapenko has 14 wins on grass, mm. and then Ans Jabor has 12. Ans. Yes, she made it to the Wimbledon final. Yeah. So, yeah, so congratulations. Uh, next up, we have uh, Billie Jean King is going to receive a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. Okay. Yes. Okay, uh, I like that. You know, uh, she's, she's not into movies, quote unquote, but she did make a change in the WTA, started the WTA, mm-hmm. uh, has been a leader for uh, women's sports in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, Billie Jean King is probably one of the biggest household names in women's tennis. And what's really cool is we know her name has stood the test of time because she was on the tour so long ago and she's still a household name. So that's pretty awesome to see. We know her for like the battle of the sexes, the women's rights in tennis and also her actual tennis success. Yes. So, you know, it's pretty cool that she's getting more accolades and acknowledgement. And I mean, she even was involved in the, um, the players lounge episode we did yes in interviewing some of the players on mental health and stuff like that so she's very active and present in media and in television and in tennis so yes. that's awesome yes so congratulations to her <clears throat> next up we're going to talk about coco goff mm. now uh this year wimbledon is allowing the wta players to wear colored underwear uh, it used to be to where they can only wear white so Coco Goff said, uh, I am glad at their decision to allow us to wear colored underwear. Mm-hmm. And uh, Judy Murray was criticizing uh, Wimbledon for not allowing the women to wear colored underwear. So what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on uh, Wimbledon's decision to allow them to wear colored underwear? Um, I think it's hilarious. <clears throat> I feel like this is one of those rules where a lot of the players are going to go, thank you for giving me the right to wear colored underwear. 
Now I'll probably still wear white underwear. Underwear. I just want to know that I have the option to wear what I want to. Yes. You know, um, I don't think this is going to change. Like, it's not going to melt down the culture of tennis out there. And I don't think we're going to see a bunch of weird underwear colors out there. But it's it's a rule that I think is reasonable and necessary. So I'm cool with it. I like it. Yes. Uh, as you know, uh, uh, Wimbledon is super strict and yeah. all white. So for them to do this is pretty big. Mm-hmm. And now Coco Goff is uh, hired another coach to help her on the grass season. Mm. Uh, if you kept up with the ATP, uh, you've noticed since Doha, she's gone through coach after coach after coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, WTA. The WTA, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah so uh, I meant the ATP podcast. Yeah. Yeah, so. Around the post, maybe. There you go. So uh, in Doha, Dubai, her dad wasn't with her, so she hired a coach. Then for the Indian uh, Wells and uh, Miami, she hired another one. As we know, uh, for uh, uh, Clay for the French Open, she had Patrick Martagadou. But he had to leave because he's still committed to Halep mm-hmm. and uh, does help out Runa a yeah. little bit. So now he, uh, she hired a coach who was a former ATP player. Uh, at, at his height, he was 65 in the world. Mm-hmm. His name is Per Riba from <clears throat> Spain. Okay. And uh, he coached uh, Zhang okay. before. And mm-hmm. that was his only uh, uh, WTA uh, player. Okay. So what are your thoughts on uh, Coco Goff uh, going through another coach? Um, I'm happy for her. I do think that she needs to figure something out technically in her in her game to make her that player she's supposed to be i don't know if she chose the right player or the right coach i should say but i think she's making the right moves in the right direction i just hope she can find the right one and stick with them long term because flippy floppy switching you know you won't build anything without time so you know hopefully she's able to put the pieces together find the right team and then make some power moves because ultimately she just needs to fix her forehand Yes. And then it won't be a surface thing. You know, I don't think that she's weak on a surface per se. I think she just needs to tweak her forehand and her mindset a little bit on the court and things will just click. Exactly. And uh, she's becoming Milos Raonic. She is. To where Milos, for a, a span of two years, he had 15 coaches and all mm-hmm. he was doing, it was he was just trying to gather information and see which one clicked the most. Mm-hmm. And to a point, she's sort of doing that mm-hmm. similar to Raducanu as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, would you want to coach her knowing that she does that a lot? You're going to, you're going to discourage and deter a lot of high quality coaches who know their worth. They're going to go, look, I'm a valuable asset to any team I'm on. And if I'm going to work with an athlete, it's going to be for the amount of time I feel comfortable that we will get to our goals. No coach wants to get brought on board and then a player just throws them to the side the second they think it's fine. A coach joins your team and they're trying to be on a journey with you yes. to help and go along with you for the ride to make it where you need to go. And there will be ebb and flows. There will be highs and lows. But Milos got with Goran. Yes. And that was the best part of his run. Yeah. You know, when they were separate, things weren't as good. You know, and then obviously he was plagued with injury. But I I hope that she could find her Goron and stick with it long term. Right. You know, no player in history that I know of flip-flopped a whole bunch of coaches and was ex- an extreme success. Yes, it's I agree. never happened before. You're better off with no coaches than having multiple coaches. Too many chefs in the pot, you know. 
So, yeah, I hope that they figure it out. Yes, this is similar to an assistant coach, pretty much, because the data is still there. Yeah. So, uh, um, I guess they're just, for now, I can understand because it's more of a surface coach. So, I get that. But, yeah, she needs to stick with one person for sure. Now, uh, Angelique Kerber uh, had a, a baby, and she mm-hmm. announced that she is going to make her comeback in the 2024 Australian Open. Mm-hmm. She is a former Wimbledon champion as well. Haven't seen her in a while. What are your thoughts? Say the name again. Angelique Kerber. 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 Lefty. Yes. Oh, wow. Um, Kerber has made a lot of noise in her career. Yes. Some crazy moments. I'm a Kerber fan. Um, I like Kerber, but I do remember the tail end of right before she took her time off that um, things were starting to fizzle out a little bit. Um, but she was an incredible counterpuncher. She had that famous sit on the floor, take it early swing. Yes. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a Kerber fan. Um, she pissed me off when she beat Serena. Yes. <laughs> but she she did it well. She was she just I was really rooting for Serena to finally get that extra slam. And Kerber, she she was a nightmare at the time for us, us fans. But yeah, you know I'm excited for her. I hope she comes back extremely healthy and fit and playing her peak tennis. I'm a Kerber fan, so I'm yes. happy for this. Yes, for sure. So that's pretty big news. Now, uh, I'll congratulate Alcaraz. Now he won Queen, so I'll get to all his stats later. Mm-hmm. They interact with Djokovic, so I'm going to leave that alone. Mm. But Bublik, uh, when his Let's first... go! Yes, he made his first 500 yeah. uh, semifinal, obviously final. Uh, he beat Rublev, who Rublev uh, was had a winning record on him. As yeah. a matter of fact, I don't think Bublik had beaten him once, mm-hmm. but he did, and he showed his grit. What are your thoughts on uh, Bublik winning uh, a title? Look, I was so, so happy about this. Um, Bublik is, I've always called him Nick Kyrgios Jr. He's very much a showmanship athlete who has all the shots but can't put anything together for an entire tournament. You know, at best, he might win a 250, and he has wins against formidable players in yes. his history, but... He can't do anything for a week straight or even two weeks straight, let alone a five-setter, you know? So he's always been that guy that I've secretly went, man, if I buy some tickets to a crappy tournament, if Bublik's there, I'll get my money's worth. <laughs> you know, That's how I've always thought because he's so fun to watch. But I, I did want to just tell you how incredible this tournament run for him was and get your reaction about this. Because did you watch his run at all? Yes. Um, I watched his whole run. And yes. I didn't know I was watching a special run when I watched it, but yes. first he beats Borna Korch, right? Great athlete. Then he beats Struff, on fire right now. Exactly. Um, then he beats Yannick Sinner, great player. Then he beats Zverev, right. great player. Then he beat Rublev. His whole draw are people we could consider threats at the Wimbledon. Exactly. And he beat all of them consecutively in a row. So, what does that mean for him at Wimbledon to you? That that's a pretty big statement. Uh, you could call him a dark horse. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, we can talk about this now. But the tennis, uh, uh, sorry, the uh, tennis channel analysts are saying that Alcaraz and the new number tenner Tiafo mm. are the biggest threat to take down Djokovic. Tiafo, Tiafo, which was insane to me. I was, I'm sorry, but. I was on the floor rolling when they that's, said Tiafo. That's a rough but, take. That's but, a rough take. But Rube, but Rube sorry. Uh, I could consider uh, Bublik above uh, Tiafo yeah, to, if, to me. So. If we're saying Tiafo, 
Bublik for sure is in the same conversation. I'm sorry. Yes. I can't. Look, I do think Tiafo could beat almost anyone in the top 10 on grass. I do think that besides Alcaraz and Djokovic. Yes. But I don't imagine Tiafo going through this same exact draw and winning a tournament. I don't see that. Yes. This draw is the pit of death. This is all great players on this surface. So I I just don't understand why they would put Tiafo as their dark horse. But, you know, this is American media trying to propagate American tennis. Exactly. Might that, as well. That's all it can be because he is now number 10. Well, yes. Topic coming up, I think, maybe. Yes. I don't maybe. know if you wrote that down. Um, but Yeah, we covered it last oh, week. Oh, we covered it last week. Yeah. Yes. He's now a top 10 athlete. So. Yes. That's probably why they're pushing that agenda, but yeah, that's no thanks. Yes, so big win for Bublik, and uh, as I say, the Alcaraz winning Queens. We'll get to the drama in Queens in a little bit, but first we have to mention forty-one-year-old Feliciano Lopez. My guy, Feliciano. Uh, he says forty-one, going on twenty-one. Mm. He said that uh, this is his final tournament in Mallorca. Mm-hmm. I'm shocked that he didn't want to play Wimbledon, yeah. but but. Uh, uh, he, he this is supposedly his farewell tournament and he keeps winning in Mallorca. What are your thoughts on uh Feliciano Lopez big lefty? Um I'm a big Feliciano Lopez fan, but also Feliciano Lopez don't have a backhand. So. Yes, <laughs> so, exactly. Um I'm surprised he's made it this long and this far. And I hate to say it, but he's got lefty privilege. That's why he's made it so far in his career. Yes. He's got a massive serve, a quality forehand. And he just really chips and slices his backhand. And he's made it so far. He won a tournament in Acapulco, maybe, two or three years ago. Or maybe that was in doubles. Um, but he has a, he got a singles title two or three years ago. I can't remember where. But, yeah, um, Feliciano Lopez, I am a fan. I think his hands are beautiful. I love watching him play doubles. He's been around forever. And he was kind of the big, consistent quarterfinalist for a good five or six years. He just went to the quarters of everything he played in. Right. Didn't matter if it was a slam, 250, 500, 1,000. He would get to quarters minimum. Yes. Um, so I always have thought he's an awesome player. I think he has four or five Davis Cups or something crazy like that. Um, him, he, him, Ferrer, Nadal, they they showed a whole bunch of... Verdasco. Verdasco. There's a bunch of pictures of those guys surrounding trophies year after year. Yes. Yeah, they've got a few Davis Cups, and he played on every single team that had it. So. Yes, exactly. So uh, now we're going to talk <clears throat> about Cameron Nori. Oh, you're talking about delusional here. Mm. Sometimes you need to be delusional to be a success, right? Mm-hmm. So he said um, in the tournament when he lost to Corda, mm-hmm. he said, and I'm just going to read it so you guys can get Uh-oh. the gist of it. He said, I think I'm in the same realm as Rafael Nadal. When I'm feeling the forehand down the line, I'm finding good direction on it, and it's a great shot. You get to watch it fully up the line, and you know exactly how well you hit it. Mm. So he's comparing his down-the-line shot to Nadal's down-the-line shot. What are your thoughts on that? We're already starting to lose touch with an era that's not completely over yet. Look, I do. Look, I anticipate this. Look. Two or three years from now, there's going to be a few guys that didn't really face Pete Nadal. They're going to come onto the tour and they're going to be talking about, oh, I wish Nadal was here because I'm playing as if I could cover the court like him. Or I, I, my forehand is Nadal-esque or, you know, those people who weren't really there to experience it. Him saying it right now is insane because he has seen Nadal in person. So he should know. And I've seen Cam Nori in person. 
Cam Nori and Nadal are not in the same universe. I think Cam Nori's an incredible player. When I saw him in person, it made a lot more sense to me because when he first won that Indian Wells that happened in November uh, during 2021, 2020, one of those years, I really went, who the hell is Cam Nori and why did he win Indian Wells? I don't like this. Then I saw him play and I went, oh, okay, he's actually a pretty good athlete. He's pretty good. So chill out, humble yourself. You've been on a weird run lately with going at Novak and yes. I will let me say this because I like this. His lack of respect for the big three is admirable. I, I can respect that. I wish some of these other players on the tour were as delusional as he is <laughs> because they'd be winning with their skill set and Nori's mindset. They would probably have already beaten Novak and Nadal. Um, so. I do like where his head's at. I just think he's the player who should not have that head. <laughs> I, let's put that head on Alcaraz. Sure. And now we're talking about a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, given Holger Rune. Holger Rune. You know, these guys, if they had less respect for Novak, less respect for Nadal, they'd be out of here. They'd be set. There wouldn't be any tension and nerves crackling because they don't feel like they belong there. or Maybe they're not prepared for the moment. They'd walk on the court like, I hit my forehand just like him. And I would love to see that. So, <clears throat> since you brought up uh, Cameron Nori going at Djokovic, we had a very similar incident with uh, Lorenzo Musetti going at Halgaruna. Now, uh, similar to to uh, uh, Cameron Nori and Djokovic, uh, Djokovic stared down Cameron Nori hard as if he was yeah. going to beat him up, but he wasn't going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cameron Nori did... Uh, of you know oh my bad but it wasn't really mm. sincere yeah so it was the same thing with Musetti and Holger Runa but here Holger Runa was deeper in the court yeah he was more in the towards the baseline yeah when he went right at him hard mm-hmm. and uh, again uh Holger Runa tries to mad dog him, mad dog him hard uh-huh. before I read his quote what are your thoughts on that okay. uh this is becoming big yeah. It is part of tennis. You yeah. just have to buck up to it. What yeah. are your thoughts on it? Look, um, I'll be totally honest with you. Most times, the player who hits the other person is down, or they're losing, or they're tight. And it is a solution. It is an idea. If I'm that player, this is not a bad decision. If I'm playing someone and the matches the momentum is not necessarily in my favor i don't feel like i'm in control of the match pegging my opponent with the ball is a great idea yeah just being honest with you um not only is it a great strategic logical shot but if i can get in the head of my opponent and maybe make them lose a little bit of concentration break their discipline maybe they start getting overly aggressive maybe they start trying to peg me whatever it may be we've seen this happen to players like Pa where Someone is overly aggressive at Sisipa, and he starts to buckle a little bit, and he tries to be overly aggressive and emotional back. And some players it works on. Unfortunately, Cam Nori did not work on Djokovic. Right. Um, and spoiler alert here, Musetti did not work on Holger Runa. He did not. Um, go ahead and read your quote. I don't want to spoil it. Yes. Yeah, so Holger Runa said in the press conference, it's not the best thing to do, but again, it is legal, similar to what Djokovic said. Yeah. This just gave me fire in the belly mm-hmm. to beat him even more. Yeah. I'm in the semifinals. He's not. So I'm happy. What that's are your the, thoughts? That's the real body shot. I'm going to kill him with success. 
<laughs> uh, I really loved his response. He said, look, he got me. It's legal. Um, I'm not going to respect it, but I can tell you one thing. I'm going to make sure I don't leave that court a loser if he's going to try to hit me with the ball. And then we'll see who really is the winner afterwards. And, you know, he got the last laugh. So big major shout out to Holger Rune. I, I love his response. I love what he did closing that match out because Musetti is not to be slept on. No, he's no, a no, threat. No. He's an absolute threat. And Holger Rune pulled it out and won the match and did it well. So yes. big shout out to him. Yes, and he lost to uh, Diminor, who had a dream run in Queens. Yeah, seriously. So that was that was epic, especially with him uh, struggling this year. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he made it to the Queens final and obviously losing to Alcaraz, that's that's not a big deal. Not at but all. But that's, that's respectable. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go to Kar- Karin Hashinov, who, who had to withdraw from Wimbledon due to a partial strain on his uh, ankle. Mm. and that he suffered at the French Open. Mm. Now, this is kind of sad, but the the Russian uh, ban has been lifted, mm. so now uh, uh, Russian players can't play at Wimbledon. So does this hurt that Hashinov uh, has to miss Wimbledon when he could have actually played? You know, I only want to say it actually does hurt, not even because of the Russian thing or anything, but because this is a guy who has been quietly performing at an extremely high level everywhere he goes. Yes. Um, He has shown up at all the slams. You blink, this guy's in the damn semifinals. You blink, he's in the quarters. He's, He's a guy who's just beating good players and going deep. And I mean beating players who are in rhythm with momentum going into events. He's beating them. So I do feel bad for him there. But on the flip side, I do think he's had some really beautiful draws. And I'm glad he won't be getting one because he won't be there this time. So hopefully that beautiful draw he got maybe like the U.S. Open will not be the case here. Yes, exactly. And that'll go to someone else. Yes. So now we're going to go to Nick Kyrgios. He was supposed to play in Mallorca. Had to withdraw. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you still consider him a favorite without him playing a grass court event at no. all? No, I don't. I don't consider him a favorite at all. He's supposed to play in that UTS event, yes. um, which I refuse to buy tickets to because half the players that are on it are injured or not playing well. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, why would I pay money for this? But yeah, um, as a genuine Nick Kyrgios fan, knowing that he made the final last year, I strongly anticipate him having a pretty rough Wimbledon this year. You know, I don't think he's going to go super, super deep. I don't know if you remember last year's Wimbledon. Well, actually, I'm sure you do now because you probably just saw it, you know. But um, he um, he had a really rough first round last year. And then he got the ball rolling and started playing good tennis. But that first round for him was really tight. So I asked myself this. That first round where he dropped the first set and it was a little ugly at first when he played Wimbledon last year, what does the current version of him do in that same situation? The same uh, version of Nick Kyrgios? Yeah. Oh. You know, I don't know if you remember his first round. He played a, a kid from Great Britain, some younger kid. Yes. Um, and he dropped the first set to him. And, and then, then he came back it up and, and won. won. Yes, yeah. yes. Oh, no, he, he's making a run for sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a little concerned for him because his he, he doesn't have the points from Wimbledon last year to help him get through an easy draw. Yes. So we don't know who he'll face first. And... On the flip side, and this is me looking at the glass half full, who are we really scared of Nick Kyrgios facing at Wimbledon when he's playing well? Who are we really scared of? Alcaraz, Djokovic. Yeah. That's it. 
So honestly, um, it's a dice roll. We'll see what happens. We'll see where he's at. But he's genuinely outspoken on the internet saying, I have to get my body right and it's not there yet. So we'll see. Yes, exactly. So now we're going to get to a statement that Patrick Marchagli said. Um, He said that the tallest mountain in tennis is beating Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon. He said, obviously, we do know he's a four-time defending champion. Mm. And he said that that's the tallest mountain in tennis. Do you agree? This one's a little tricky for me to answer. I think that it's it's slightly accurate right now, today. Like, right, right now, the way everyone's health is on the tour today, he's right. Last year, no, I don't agree. The year before, no, I don't agree. I think the tallest mountain climb was still Nadal at the French Open. And I also think for a very long length of time, beating Federer at Wimbledon was tougher than beating Novak. Um, but obviously, we do know we've seen a few surprises at the Australian and a lot less surprises at Wimbledon. So I will have to go with Martaglu on this, but only if we're talking about right, right now, now, today, yes. with the way everyone's health is today. I agree with him. Yes. But I don't think that that's been a very long standing thing or a profound statement over the years at all. I think that Wimbledon has been almost. Fed Nadal Djokovic could all win it. And none of them should be scared of each other. That's how I feel. Yes. Um, versus at the French, you should be scared of Nadal, even if you're a big three player. At the Australian, you should be scared of Djokovic, even if you're in the big three. I've never felt that way with Federer and Wimbledon when Nadal and Djokovic are playing their absolute best. I've always thought they had a chance against Federer at Wimbledon. But, you know, I've never felt that way about the Australian or the French. So I'm not going to say it's the tallest mountain in tennis. Yes. If he's, uh, you're right. If he, if he's saying right now, I agree with that, but historically Mm. it's not. Yeah. So, uh, obviously that's going to be Nadal with an insane record of, it's just off the top of my head right now, but 112 and four or five. Yeah. So that's an insane record. Yeah. So no, but now yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're going to get to Alcaraz before we get to his tennis. He just got a new contract with Louis Vuitton. He's going to be an ambassador for them. Wow. What are your thoughts? Swaggy, big, swaggy. Big Alcaraz. Saucy man. I like that. I like that for him. We've been seeing a lot more of these very unique, interesting sponsorships and endorsements on the tour. Um, I don't know if you're bringing a Manorino, but the man, yes. Marino, uh, yes. yeah, I think he has like a Lululemon sponsorship. Yes, yes. now that you brought it up, that's yeah. good. He yes. has Lululemon. We know Bertini's got Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss, yes. Um, back in the day, this is my boy, that's why I remember him. But uh, Burditch, I think he wore Cotton On or H&M. I know he H&M. wore, he wore H&M. H&M. Yes. Um, so just interesting. Some of these athletes really pull off some crazy brands. And they're out there playing in these random brands. But it's awesome. I love to see it. A lot of people laugh at Manorino because they say he's just out there in a regular t-shirt and shirt. Oh, for sure, <laughs> like, Is he just wearing a Walmart shirt? I'm like, no, that's Lululemon. <laughs> There's just not a giant logo on it. Right. But he's wearing really nice stuff, like really nice stuff. So that's pretty funny. But I think that's awesome. I love that for him. I oh, think yes. it's well-deserved, and I think it'll be a good look for him. Yeah, he's already posed in uh, 
underwear already yeah. so yeah he's he's the 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 next big thing for sure it's funny to see that nike didn't swoop him up completely oh, big time that's yeah. very funny to see and that that might be a telling for the future of uh nike tennis yes for sure but now getting to the tennis to the tennis aspect alcaraz won queens mm. uh this is his first career grass court uh title mm. he has five titles this year tied with medvedev wow caught up to him yes caught up to him um he reclaims the world number one spot and will be the number one seed at wimbledon before we get to the tug of war what are your thoughts on alcaraz having a mind-boggling year and between me and you i have to tell you what was going to determine for me how beautiful of a year he's truly having is what he did on the grass Yes. Because I knew for a fact he would have a solid clay season and a solid hardcore season. But I asked myself, okay, is this guy really the future if he can't do it on the grass? And he pulled out a great grass win. So whether he wins Wimbledon or not, he has my respect for grass this year. Yes. And um, obviously Djokovic has the big ones, but him having five titles, tying Medvedev and getting one on grass is pretty big too. Yeah. Now... Obviously, he did say, although I'm the number one seed, the real number one is Novak Djokovic. And there's a controversy on that, and I'll get to it after this. What are your thoughts on that? That statement? Yes. Um, I mean, I this is another one of those things. I wish he had the Cam Nori mindset. Am I going to say he's wrong? No, I'm not going to call him wrong. But get that little chip on your shoulder. You're a little cocky. Get a little delusional. Be a little disrespectful, you know? Um, I would like to see him come in with the mindset of, I am the best player in the world. I think I'm going to be Djokovic. So why wouldn't I say I'm the number one player? That's the right mindset. If you're not embracing being the number one, would you have ever, 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 even if Federer was 15 in the world, if Wimbledon gave him the number one seed, would you hear him in a press conference going, I mean, Nadal is the real number one, but I'll do what I can. Like, are you kidding me? Yes. Like, what are you saying? Why would you say that? So... I'm a little frustrated with that, but, you know, it's one of those things where he has too much respect for the big three, and I know he's coming off of a loss due to cramps and stuff like that, but I would even make the, I don't even think this is a hot take. I'd go as far as saying his cramps are a direct result of him respecting Novak too much. Yes, I can definitely agree. So, for me, this is already a bad sign. This is a bad sign for Wimbledon. He needs to embrace being the number one. And honestly, this is this is sort of a hot take per se. Uh, the fact that he finally won a grass court event, which is good, but his his movement is not uh, it's not efficient on grass per se. So would I put him as a favorite? I mean, I guess so. But to me, he's not a favorite favorite as people are putting him down to be mm-hmm. because of that. But <clears throat> that's my take. But anyway, going back to this um, uh, race for number one, in um, when Alcaraz won the U.S. Open, he took the number one spot in September 2022. Yeah. Then when Djokovic won it in um, Australia, he took it back in mm. 2023. Mm-hmm. Then we have in March when he won Indian Wells, mm-hmm. he took Alcaraz took it back the yeah. number one spot. Then Alcaraz loses to Sinner in the semifinals of Miami. Mm-hmm. Djokovic gets the number one spot back. Mm. Then uh, Alcaraz wins Madrid and Barcelona. He takes back the number one spot. Mm. Then we have Djokovic 
beating Alcaraz and winning the French Open, he regains the number one spot. And then lastly, uh, Alcaraz winning Queens because he has no points to defend on grass. Yeah. That's a big victory. So he reclaims the number one spot. Crazy. So that's been the run since 2022. Those guys have been head to head. Yeah, trading blows. Uh, who do you think will end up as the uh, year in number one? Um, I think that Wimbledon's kind of the deciding factor for me. I anticipate. No, well, actually, you know what? Let me let me take that back. I think the U.S. Open will be the deciding factor. Um, this will be the first year we're going to see Novak there really playing, and. Alcaraz might lose a lot of points there. He's the defending champion. Yeah, he he only has points to defend, nothing to gain. Right. Djokovic has everything to gain. So I I have to go with Djokovic. I have to go with Djokovic there. He has only everything to gain for a lot of these events. He's actually kind of being handicapped as far as his ranking goes until he plays this whole year out. So he should finish year in number one. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, Djokovic would be miles ahead of Alcaraz if Wimbledon had points last year. But if you look at it the other way, now that Djokov- now that Wimbledon didn't have points, mm-hmm. now Djokovic doesn't have to defend points for Wimbledon. Yeah. So it's an even race right now. Yeah. So you could look at it that way as well. Mm-hmm. So now the big, big controversy um, among British tennis analysts are saying, oh, this is the first time in 10, 15 years that Wimbledon decided to do the ATP ranking to do the uh, number one seed at Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. If you remember, you can go back to our podcast, the Around the Post. We would talk about Wimbledon doing guerrilla math. Uh, They would do grass court events from last year Mm -hmm. to add on points to the clay court event, which would favor... Better all the time. Yeah, of course. Right? But now they're not doing it. This is the first time in 10, 15 years that yeah. Wimbledon decided to do ATP ranking instead of Wimbledon's guerrilla math ranking. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Are they dissing Djokovic? Um, I don't even want to say this should be a diss to Djokovic. This should be showing the Federer favoritism. That's what this is really showing. Now that he's gone, they're going, oh, he's gone. Who cares? <laughs> you know, that's what it's really saying. You know, I don't think they've ever meant to disrespect anyone else, but they've always had extremely high regard and respect for Federer, and they've always wanted him to be the winner of their tournament. I really do believe that. Um, and if you want me to be honest, this is one of the few years where I think the ranking is relatively accurate. You know, I think that there is no weird outliers, which is ironic because there's no points from this last year. Right. So that's a little bit funny. I mean, if I were to tell you who my top three picks are for Wimbledon, Alcaraz and Djokovic are one and two for sure. Um, and then three is interchangeable. At yes, that point, I agree. You know, so it's it's pretty interesting. I, I think they made the right call, saved themselves the trouble of putting bias on something that doesn't need bias because... The number three player in the world right now is Medvedev, and I'm okay with him getting the third seed. Sure. I'm totally okay with that. The first player I'm not okay with getting a seed is Kasparud at number four. <laughs> he might he might coast to the quarters or semis again off of just points he's collected. Um, I really, really am not a big fan of this guy. I don't think he'll make a, a quarterfinal run. I doubt it. I can't imagine it. I can't. 
Now, the person that's uh, actually a little disappointing right now is Stefanos. Yeah. Uh, he should be up there, but, uh, you know, he, he made it to that war with Kyrgios, but right now, he hasn't been performing yeah. at all. He so lost. He just lost today. He just lost today, so whether yeah. or not you want to blame it on Badosa or not, uh, he's just not performing. Yeah, he wasn't performing pre-Badosa, so... Yes, exactly. So here, here are some stats for you to let you know maybe Wimbledon should have done their guerrilla math. So he has 28 consecutive wins at Wimbledon. Four years in a row, he is the champion. Then he has not lost a match, a completed match, since 2016 at Wimbledon. He has 86 total uh, wins at Wimbledon in his career. The whole top 20 has 85. Mm. And then lastly, he is unbeaten on center court since 2013. Oh my God. But yet they gave him the two seed. Wow. So now that you heard that, is that disrespectful to Djokovic? He's the real number one. Unfortunately, Alcaraz should not agree though. <laughs> but I mean, he's the blade number one for sure. For sure, for sure. And I will say this. Um, glass half full. The number one seed and the number two seed are the same thing. Sure. They're the same thing in these tournaments. If you're ranked one or two, it's just which half of the draw you're on. Yeah. And neither half is promised to be better than the other. Sure. And that's never promised. So, once again, in defense of Wimbledon, as long as he's one or two, what does it really matter outside of the prestige of being called the number one seed? On paper, with the math, it doesn't change anything for your odds. So, he might be advantageous. If he if he gets Casper Root on his side of the bracket, he should celebrate being number two. Oh, for sure. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, throw Stefanos and Medvedev up there with Alcaraz and let Djokovic coach to the final. And I think he'll be like, no complaints. I'm happy. No, yeah, exactly. You know, so, we'll see what happens. But I'm going to bet on that being the case. Yes. So, uh, now... Uh, did you want to talk about uh, Breakpoint? Yeah, let's talk about Breakpoint a bit. I haven't watched all of it, but I, I'm here for spoilers, whatever you got if you watched all of it. Okay, so uh, obviously this these episodes have been way better than the first yes. ones for sure. Yes. They got into more in-depth analysis of what's actually inside the locker room. Yeah. So it, it was more for the tennis person that's knowledgeable and watches tennis all the time yeah so obviously the first one was nick curios he stated that he uh, uh locked himself up in the room and wanted to commit suicide stuff like that i remember that match he lost yes i remember that match uh he lost to nadal at wimbledon right exactly yeah and then um i let tom Janovich, uh they talked about her they talked about how this was funny actually mm -hmm. because she made it i forgot if it was the quarterfinals or something yeah but the dad uh hadn't uh bought a, a hotel because yeah. he thought that he was she was gonna lose yeah so she had to move from hotel to hotel and yeah. then finally she lost in the quarters and in the fourth round she's all you didn't buy me a hotel and and then he secretly said, "Well, I didn't think you were gonna win." Yeah. You know? So that was pretty funny. So I'm trying to save you money. Exactly. Okay. And then uh, she talked about uh, how uh, she was hated because uh, she's the one that ended Serena Williams's uh, career, and and how nobody was cheering for her. So mm. that was a pretty good episode. Mm. Um, 
the final one was very impressive mm-hmm. with uh, uh, the WTA. They talked about the WTA finals and the ATP finals. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about grit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sabalenka, she uh, admitted that there was a lot of pressure on her because by age 25, she had promised her dad that she was going to win a slam. Mm-hmm. And she had it, and she's 24. Yeah. So she's starting to buckle a little bit. Yeah. And then she was, uh, she talked about how uh, being from Belarus, she's being attacked and how it got to her mental health and all that good stuff. But the thing that I liked from her the most was uh, in part of the interview, she said, I'm tired of ego winning everything. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm going to start winning. Mm-hmm. And you just talked about Alcaraz, right? Yeah. So that was the grit that I love to see. Everybody That's what we else, want. everybody else was, oh well, I respect him and this, but she's the real number one. She's the real, but uh, Sabalenka was. I'm tired of her winning. Mm-hmm. So that's the spoiler there. And then, of course, obviously, uh, they talked about the Stefanos with Nick Kyrgios. The beef. The beef. The bully. He's a bully. He's a bully. So that was pretty entertaining. So that's pretty much the gist of it. But uh, what are your thoughts on uh, these uh, couple of episodes? Uh, Look, first and foremost, I wish they approached the first half of Breakpoint the way they did the second half. Because there was a lot of drama and great stories and plot lines in the first half of last year's season. But it's beautiful that they had the time and opportunity to revamp the second half and make it just so good. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. It made me love some players more, dislike some players more. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Tomjanovic fan. She is a roller coaster of emotions. She is too chaotic mentally for my taste. And... I just can't see her being one of the elite on the tour with how weak she is mentally. Right. Um, She's too soft. So I was not a fan of that, but I was a fan of them showing it and her allowing it to be put on a platform. Yes, that was big. Um, Because she is an elite athlete with all the tools, but we're seeing, we're finally getting a look through the glass at why it's not all clicking. Right. And I did love that part. So I don't want to say I don't like her, that I wouldn't watch her, but... I am not a fan of that, you know, so for me, it was pretty cool to understand why I shouldn't be a fan and why I should maybe if I was a more sympathetic underdog story kind of person, maybe I'd root for her. But, you know, they had um, one of the commentators. I, I don't remember which the commentator was. It was one of the, the ex-WTA Hall of Famers was talking and they were like, a lot of people love an underdog story. Yes. But I love a top dog story. Because it's harder to win when you're supposed to win right. than win when you're not supposed to win. And that's something a lot of people don't understand is the pressure to win when it's expected of you and you've been doing it for quite some time already. And we've got to respect the people who can do it over and over and over again with a target on their back. Right. You know, so that was uh, something where Kyrgios even said in his. He was like, I've been the underdog where everyone thinks you're going to lose anyway and you're in your hometown and everyone's rooting for you and you're swinging with nothing to lose and no pressure. He's like, I'm walking into Wimbledon today expected to beat the crap out of this guy. Right. And the whole crowd's behind him and he has nothing to lose. That's tricky. And he pulled it off and still won. You know, so those are the matches I would like for fans and spectators to understand are the ones you should really appreciate. We we don't get it because Fed and Nadal and Djokovic just do it all right. the time. They just yes. casually steamroll these guys. But that's not normal. That's not normal to beat these players when maybe the crowd's rooting against you a little more than usual. You know, the guy you're going against feels no pressure because he's not supposed to win. 
and you feel additional pressure because you have to do what you always do against someone you've never seen or played against. Right. So, you know, that's one of my favorite takeaways from Breakpoint so far. Yes. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Stefano's uh, saying about uh, Kyrgios, oh, he's brought an NBA, uh, an NBA uh, a flair to it. An uneducated. It, yes. Wow. This is this is a gentleman's sport. Yeah, and then uh, obviously uh, the rest of the episodes are going to be Tiafo, his uh, rise, mm-hmm. and um, Fritz when he was being attacked for beating N- Nadal at Indian Wells. Yeah, and he even said, "I want to thump him at mm. the year-ending tournament mm-hmm. because they're not showing me respect." Mm-hmm. So when he beat him, he felt uh, gratification for doing it. Yeah. Now the one thing that I learned, and this is. It is what it is. Nadal shouldn't have been playing. Mm-hmm. Although he did have a fabulous first quarter of the year, mm-hmm. he had that rib injury, and a lot of people made names off of him. Mm-hmm. So he should have just stepped down as he's doing right now. Yeah. Last year in April. Yeah. And then nobody would have had their fairy tale story. Yeah. So that's what I learned as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Nadal's body has been compromised. I mean, here here's where it's tricky though, because we saw what he did to Medvedev, right? With the same body in yes. the same condition, he shouldn't have won that match. How did he win it? Um, we saw him win a French Open. How? How did you win that? Um, so I get the this. It's this teeter tottering thing of you're battling age and time versus this injury right in front of you and going, okay, do I wait this injury out and then I'm too old anyway, right? Or do I play right now and then maybe shorten my career because of this injury? So he was in a very tricky spot. And you're right. Maybe a few guys built a name off him. Taylor Fritz. <laughs> but um, Tiafo. Tiafo as well. But McDonald. You know, well, we pretend that one didn't happen. Yes. Um, but, you know, these are definitely situations where also it happens to every pro at the end of their career. Sure. So. None of us are going, McDonald's the future. Yes. No one's thinking that. It is. You are right, though. People are going, Taylor Fritz has changed. Right. Tiafo is a favorite at Wimbledon. What are we talking about? What? No, he's not. Um, so maybe you're right there. You're you're right about that. But I think that reality will come back quickly for that. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, so uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, nothing in particular. Um, shout out to everyone going to Wimbledon. Yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to the draw there. I think next week will be right before Wimbledon, right? Uh, during actually. Oh, it'll be during. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. This is the current last week yes. before Wimbledon. Yes. So next week we'll be discussing the draw in round one and possibly round two for WTA. So yes. it'll be interesting to see. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. And hopefully next week we can do some hot takes and talk about some predictions. Yes. So with that being said, I hope you guys were entertained. ATP, adios. Oh, one last thing. Last week I kept saying Serena Williams was with Riley Opelka. He's ma- she, yeah, she's married, bro. I meant Venus Williams was with Riley Opelka at that that thing with the chain and Buster Rhymes and all yes. that. I don't know why I was saying Serena, but I wanted to correct that this week. Yes. So if you made it this far, you definitely heard that last week. I meant Venus Williams still having a thing with Riley Opelka. What's going on? Either way, though, 
This was ATP Around the Post. Thank you for listening. See you next time.